Welcome to Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald. Hey, that's me. Hi, and welcome to Positive Talk. Our show features the best positive stories and people from around the globe as we endeavor to answer the universal question of why am I here and what is my purpose? Understanding that can change everything and knowing your greatness is fundamental to living your best life. So join us right now as together we work to create the adventure of our lifetime. Today, we get to talk to an author who is in the middle of the adventure of her lifetime. Uh, she, she's an author. She's got a couple of books out, one that we talked about. She'd been on the show before, and we talked about my favorite topic, which was the 60s and early 70s, and then that in the olden times when the, the, I, hate to, I hate to think of how many people weren't even alive then. Um, I had an associate. I said, we were talking about the sixties and, and do you remember the sixties? She said, I was born in 1985, you know, it's like, <laughs> so, what, what are you, what are you going to do? Uh, but, uh, her, her name is uh, Donna Conrad and she's an author. She's got a book. I don't know how she did this, but she has a new book coming out that won a couple of awards and it isn't even out yet. I don't know how that happens, but, uh, it's called the last Magdalene. And it's coming out in April, I do believe, as as well as there's going to be a series of them. I do I think I remember that correctly. There's going to be a series, right? Yes, four books in the series. Oh, very very nice. And if you're wondering what the mag the last Magdalene is, it is a uh, historical fiction about uh, Mary Magdalene. And if we, for those of you that may not have studied your Bible of late, uh, Mary Magdalene was a principal female character in the New Testament. Matter of fact, she's only mentioned by one other Mary more, and that was um, uh, the Mother Mary, uh, the Virgin Mary. Um, and so she was a major player in, in, in the Bible in the New Testament. And there are rumors and thoughts about what happened and her life as it continued including the fact that some people even say, and we'll talk about this, some people even say that the Holy Grail was carried by her from the Holy Land to what used to be called Gaul, which is now France, the south of France. So I don't know whether any of that's true. So we're going to ask uh, Donna right now. Donna, how are you? I am doing just fine and dandy. How about yourself? Oh, I'm awesome. Thank you. It's great to, to see you again. And uh, we can talk a little bit about the current book that's out, which is The House of the Moon. Um, mm -hmm. That's Keith Moon, but no, that's not Keith Moon. <laughs> Go to bed. Uh, but uh, um, The House of the Moon and also uh, The Magdalene Chronicles, which the first of which is The Last Magdalene. And we can talk about how that was done. But you piqued my interest. I did. Because you are in the middle of writing an article about women and their place in history and how they show up and then they suddenly disappear. And, uh, and I'm curious about that. And I know you, you do a lot of research. You even researched the crucifixion and the, uh, the for lack of a better term, the art of how to crucify somebody. Absolutely. An art to keeping somebody alive and tortured as long as possible. And the Romans were, excelled at that. 
and and it, they excelled at that because they got a lot of practice. They got a lot of practice, unfortunately. Yes, and and just as a side note, crucifixion was only for non-Roman citizens, so yes. they didn't uh, share that uh, torture with Roman citizens. But if you had a high crime against Rome and you were not a citizen, you got nailed to the cross. And if you were a Roman citizen, I believe beheading was the uh, the thing of choice. I think, I think beheading and or being thrown off the I can't say Tapian or Tarpian rock, the big rock that uh, was that Rome was based on, and they called it I think the Traitor's Rock. And so, I don't know if you were beheaded first or not. Somebody out there will know this. I haven't studied <laughs> that that part of Roman history yet. I was uh, focusing more on uh, the Middle East. You know, and, and this is just a uh, weird aside, but since you have studied history a great deal and uh, your books are uh, um, historical in nature, I thought it would be interesting that, you know, we have been, as a human species, over time, we have been very, very mean to each other. You think? <laughs> yes, I, I would say so. We have um, a select select times in history when we've risen to the occasion of being kind, of being inclusive, of of embracing our strengths, and um, helping to polish each other to become better, to be. Um, more kind, more loving. But those instances are are overshadowed by by the gross amount of man's inhumanity to man and to the I, environment and to animals. I mean, overall, we have some redeeming qualities, but not as many as the others. It, it, exactly. I, I remember watching Braveheart for the first time. Mm. Did you ever see Braveheart? Ah, yes. <laughs> And the um, I had never heard of the of what they call drawing and quartering. Uh, oh yes, which was which again was what they did with um, um, traitors, and, traitors, right? And and people that had committed treason against the crown, as it were, or alleged to have committed treason. I was going to go to alleged. <laughs> And in those days, since the king was the king and what he said went, if you were alleged to do something, well, you pretty much were convicted of it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. But uh, the drawn quartering that they did was actually sanitized in uh, Braveheart. I know. I know. I've read about it. <laughs> Isn't it, it? It's just amazing to me. It's the the inhuman and and people used to watch it. It was kind of like a Sunday afternoon thing. That's what always gets me watching beheadings, drawn and quarter, hangings. This was a pastime. Now I understand if you were in uh, the feudal age and you were a part of the court, 
if you didn't show up to a public ex execution, then you were suspect of not supporting the the monarch. So that was that was that. But it, at other times, why? Uh, yeah, I yeah, I don't even like boxing matches. They're too violent for me. <laughs> and then and <laughs> I I was talking with a gentleman uh, the other day that was he's part of the MMA which is the mm -hmm. mixed martial arts. The first time I saw that, I thought that is that, that is brutal. That is that they're killing each other in there and they're and they're hitting each other with elbows and knees and yes. and, and it, it's it's I don't find that amusing. Of course, when I was young um, in 1976, you know what movie came out besides Star Wars in 1976? Here's a Rocky here's a Yep, that's the Rocky. Rocky, hey, Rocky. Rocky came out in '76, uh, and uh, so I decided I was going to become a boxer. Ooh. And so I went to a gym in Seattle, and it was a professional gym. And they told me that, hey, you can be the next champion of the world. So I had one fight, got my face broken, and that was the end of my career. <laughs> that was it. I'm out of here. <laughs> Well, I'm actually a, a black belt in karate, oh, and so yeah, I've had I've had my nose broken a couple of times and things like that. But it was more for self defense, and if you know, I mean, in House of the Moon, I was pretty much brutalized, and so I said never again, and um, went in and and practiced for many years and received my black belt, and was pretty good at defending myself. But as far as for sport or competition, no. I was really into the mental training and then the ability to defend myself. Congratulations, good for you, because I, okay. I hate to say it, and I know you're writing about this, women have had to defend themselves and continue to have to defend themselves at a horrible rate in our country and around the world. And uh, Absolutely. It's terrible. It's terrible. So I, thought, I, I admire every woman who is on the planet because virtually every one of you has been abused in some manner or form over the course of your lifetime. Well, and discredited, you know, as we're not important, our opinions don't matter, uh, and that we are a lesser species than than man especially men that are in positions of power so why do you yeah, think it is, is different uh, actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to be honest here well i i wouldn't i wouldn't have it any other way because you know from my perspective first of all i have been to the best of my knowledge i have been very kind and affectionate and loving towards women and i don't abuse them i can't imagine being a narcissist or or some of the things that that i hear about um so it for me it's a foreign thing um but what so in my world it doesn't happen but in other worlds it does and i would be curious mm -hmm. to know from a female's perspective why it happens so much I go back to ancient 
times. And I think there's something that is intimidating and a bit scary and unexplained for men, women's ability to create life. Now, it's only been in history that we've learned that, okay, it takes a man also, and it's a male and female, you know, chromosomes, all that. But at a time back, I'm talking prehistory, women could conceive, and it was even a question, how does that happen? And so I think sweet. that is a bit intimidating for men. And um, because we had matriarchal societies for a while, and they were run more as a consensus as opposed to an autocracy where you know this person wants this so everybody does what they want it was more okay what is good for the tribe what is good for all the people what's good for the environment and i think that has been gradually lost and i can't really trace when this started happening but i believe it was it began to make itself president present when we move from hunter-gatherer to more of an agrarian society, where our land, our crops, all of that needed to be protected. And somehow it shifted to where the men who went out and hunted, the men who engaged in battle, that type of thing, began to take a prominence. And this, I would love to hear from actual historians, you know, when this shift started happening. But it was a while ago. In the Mediterranean basin, it really became prominent when Rome expanded. And Rome had a very patriarchal system where the man was at the top of the pe pecking order. And, and women had no rights at all. They couldn't inherit property. They belonged to their fathers until they were married. Then they belonged to their husbands. And the men in their lives had life and death abilities to women. They could just say, okay, you're dead, and they would be executed. They would be thrown out of the family. And as Rome expanded into the Mediterranean basin, you've heard, you know, when in Rome do as Romans do, well, it was make the world Rome. So they moved into areas as in Egypt, where women ruled, where women had positions of power and they said, okay, we're stopping that. They moved into Judea where women could inherit. They could choose their husbands. They were judges in courts. They basically could choose their own fate. And Rome said, no, 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 this isn't going to happen. And so it spread out from the Roman empire and we're still living under Roman empire perspectives. Which, Why which, we yeah, which, which of course, the um, turned into the Holy Roman Empire, which yes. was then run by the by the Catholic Church, and yeah. that's why we have priests and as opposed to priestesses. But in the time and in, in the last Magdalene, her position is as a priestess, not as a priest. And in the book, I say something when babes are hard to birth. A woman calls for a priestess, not a priest. And they were the healers. They were the midwives. They were the surrogates and the voice of the caring, loving, nurturing 
creative aspects of divinity. And that got shoved aside with, with Christianity. Now, people don't know, even in the first, second temple period, for the Hebrews, they were known as being a monotheistic. But that didn't really happen until later on. They were, they had multiple deities. If you look now, and this is going to get me in trouble, but <laughs> you have the archangels who are, that's why they are called. So one of the first Hebrew names for Hebrew God was El. This is who Abraham spoke to. And so who do you have? You have archangels, Mikael, Raphael, Gabriel, Uriel. They are all aspects of El, of that God. And there are still people who pray to them. You hear about people having a patron saint, you know, St. Michael which is yeah. Mikael, is an aspect of an ancient Hebrew god. So. Exactly. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm curious, well, a couple of things. First of all, I don't want to minimize the the impact of, of a pregnancy and women bringing children into the world, because, I mean, let's be real, the man spends two minutes and the, the, the woman spends nine months. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, more than that, like 18 years almost, or well, in prehistoric times, maybe only until about seven years, <laughs> and then the game yeah. is off on their own. But but it, but but I recall now that the Greeks had like Athena was a god, mm -hmm. and they had and they had churches that were done Absolutely. by 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 women, but that wasn't the case in Roman times, was it? Or did they, they have... did. They had, they had, uh, well, one, they had the Vestal Virgins, which is very interesting because they had to remain virginal, which is where, going back to it, we get the concept of the virgin birth because in Rome it was very important to keep their women isolated and virginal because a man can never be certain that he's the father of a child. So you have to keep your women locked away and you yeah. have to make them feel really bad if they're interested in sex, because that's, that's no good. They're broodmares and that's it to Rome. But they did have goddesses that they would, would make offerings to. But these were um, divine beings, right? not made manifest. Right. And so they might come down. You did. You 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 had many of them, you know. And of course, Zeus and and Jupiter were married and had wives. And uh, you know this. They they reflected a family life. And so, yeah. but it did not extend to the mortal realm, as far as I know. But no. in other areas outside of Rome, it did. Now, I wanted to ask you, I was reading this just the other day, and since you've done so much research around the book and around that particular time, and and including, I'm sure, that the language that was generally spoken at the time uh, was Aramaic, and, the, and they believe that Jesus spoke Aramaic as in the people in Nazareth and those in the surrounding areas, and that when they translated but the but the Bible was eventually translated from Greek to uh, he, Hebrew and Greek into into 
you know, English and stuff, but the translation from Aramaic to Greek is not something that is generally talked about very much. And some of the, some of the words and terms that are in the Bible that are, have brought to us today were not necessarily spoken in Aramaic as an example. I was reading, and correct me if I'm wrong, I was reading that the virgin, if we talk about the virgin birth, in Aramaic, virgin, or in Aramaic, it meant young woman. It didn't mean... Well, it meant either a young woman or it meant a woman unto herself, meaning she did not belong to a man, which would be basically a young, a young woman at, or someone who was not married. Or that her husband had died, and or some. Typically, no. They were referred to more as widows. Oh, okay. So, okay. but it was a woman um, to come from the Hebrew. It was a woman under herself, which is the title of the third book in my series. When, when the Magdalene finally um, absorbs and synthesizes her teachings, her understanding, and becomes a woman unto herself, and becomes a great teacher and a healer. So that word to the Greeks meant, oh, she hadn't had sex. She was not right. known by a man. And so it, it gave this entire slant to the story that has but, come down to us. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, which I often am, but there are <laughs> other ancient stories and other ancient situations where they mention a virgin birth in in other other godlike folks that came before or around that time um is that have you found that absolutely cool? absolutely but the the uncommon factor in the other stories it is typically immortals or gods and goddesses that are able to to give birth to aspects of themselves without, I guess you would say, intercourse, without normal birthing met methods, but not with a god and a mortal woman. I mean, you have, you know, Zeus running around impregnating a lot of women, but none of them were virgins. You know, they actually had sex with him and produced offsprings. But between god and goddess, yes, there's a lot, especially in the Hindu um system and in other places and if you think about it giving birth to an aspect of divinity within yourself is something that doesn't require a physical birth and i think in mythology this is what they're speaking to I mean, when you have Athena coming full blown from the head, that is the, the, the mental, the fighting, the, that aspect of the God that can come fully formed. I'm enjoying so you, this conversation immensely. <laughs> Thank, you're going back into my Jungian. I was, I was training as a Jungian psychologist for a while. So oh, cool. We need to talk about that. Uh, Donna Conrad is our guest, and I need to take a quick break. And then we're going to come right back and we're going to talk more with her about this. And about, I would love to talk more about Young, too, because I think he's got some fascinating um, ideas. Mm. So uh, we'll be right back. The 
They have your eyes. They have your ears. They have your smile. Now all they need is a little more of your time. Make a difference in your child's life. Because anyone can be a father. It takes time to be a dad. And welcome back to Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald. And yes, it does take a lot more effort to be a dad than it does to be a a, um, a, a guy who um, impregnates somebody. So if been, well, we were a, just talking to you that fits. <laughs> exactly. Be be a good dad out there if you wouldn't mind. I would I would really appreciate it. We need more of them uh, out there at all. But we're talking with uh, um, Donna Conrad, and she is a historically accurate person she's been doing a lot of studying about the about about ancient times and and even the 60s and and stuff she's got a, she's got a couple of books well she's got one book out and the second book is coming in april on april 9th i do believe and that's the last magdalene and i think and it's already run a, won a couple of awards which is really outstanding so um congratulations for that but we're also talking about women and their place and and how it changed and and to become because at one time women were exalted because i think you're right the mystery of childbirth they without women there would be no us um, because they were the ones who could conceive and then have the baby and before they figured before they figured out that uh a fits into b equals c <laughs> before they figured any of that it was like this is a miracle how did this happen because i can just see those guys going well let's see i did this one i did this one i did this one i did that one and that one came up pregnant how did that happen and they didn't you know because you wouldn't you would think that it would be like a plus it would be easy (laughs) exactly and of course barren women were looked upon women who could not have children for whatever reason were looked upon on a, in a very negative light in in because they weren't able in, in they weren't able to propagate the species is that right mm-hmm. correct and um but some of them went on to be incredible healers and wise women in the village and if you go back to let's go back to carlos castaneda and don juan and uh don juan said of one thing that if a woman is a a a bruja or a a wise woman or a sorceress and she has a child it punches a hole in her aura and it weakens her so i that seems like a rather misogynistic thing to say uh because many women who have had children go on to be incredibly um strong dynamic women but in that sense i think that opens the door to women who have not born children to to claim their own power their their own mastery over self their own integration with the universe with with healing with other people because they're not diverted and so i think in a way if you kind of take the the patriarchal spinoff of that, it gives a place for women who, who either chose or were not able to bear children yeah. to be the wise women. 
Well, in in those days, you really didn't have a choice. You, you, I mean, if you couldn't have children because of a physical reason, but they married you off at, at like fourteen, and when you twelve, and, oh, oh <laughs> I gave them too much credit. Twelve, okay. exactly twelve. And the thing is, so even I, I believe someone can correct me, but King John married one of his wives at 12, but he waited for a year after she started her menses before he bedded her. Well, and so, of course, in those days, they had, uh, I believe, did not King Solomon have like 3,000 concubines and 500 wives kind of thing? It was 700 wives as far as I know. And if you think think of that i have a whole theory about that i've written a whole nother blog about that <laughs> and um so there was something called the sacred marriage and where the king is united with the land which is always a woman uh, who is the fertility who is the 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 ability to produce life and to have crops and grains and all this type of stuff. So it is, it is a fertility ritual. So if you figured however long Solomon was alive, if every moon had a different priestess and kept them all in a harem, a harem, you, you got a few, you've got a few people up there. <laughs> you got a few women, women hanging around out there. Boy, no kidding. And now it, it seems to me that if a guy had, I don't know, 500, 700 wives, that he'd have a whole army of children. Did they? Do you have any idea? Well, it's what you said. Not every time someone has sexual intercourse, a child is not conceived. I, you stand a better chance in the ancient days of that happening if it was on a full moon, because women's cycles went full moon to new moon. And um, But still, he would have quite a few children and they would but in those days and especially among the hebrews the children were counted as a part of the tribe of the mother even though it was really clear solomon was the father they belonged to the tribe of whatever mother gave them birth and if he was copulating with priestesses and and women of high status from other tribes those children would belong to those tribes and politically it made sense for him to marry yeah. women from other tribes to make because there were 12 tribes originally and yes. to make, and to make them a cohesive unit um mm -hmm. because they were all intermarried exactly and they would marry so yeah the whole dynastic reign or or uh bloodlines were closely watched but when solomon died and his son took over the 10 northern tribes rebelled so we were only left with the tribe of judah and the tribe of benjamin and the assyrians came in and wiped out the 10 northern tribes now there's some genetic proof that people survived but as a tribe as a whole with any type of of power was gone when the when the assyrians wiped them out so when you come down to new testament times there was only the tribe of judah and the tribe of benjamin now what happened to the tribe of joseph joseph 
wasn't wasn't he one of the 12 no <clears throat> Am I well i think well there were 12 <laughs> there were 12 tribes and if you're talking about well i'm going back to oh so there were the 12 sons the 12 sons one of them was joseph was he Lindsay? right know. but i mean the according to history all 10 tribes the 10 northern tribes which was israel and then when they rebelled they split off and the south was called judea and the north was called israel and the prophecy was that when a king in the line of solomon appeared he would reunite them so during the time of the new testament there were two separate entities one was judea and the other was israel and so when jesus came along he was he was the son of david he was so he was in the tribe of judah and he needed to marry into the tribe of benjamin and if you think about the tribe of judah owned jerusalem the tribe of benjamin or bethany owned all the land around it so again it was ex politically expedient you've got to join these two tribes and he was to fulfill the prophecy that when he when he drove out a formidable enemy or an occupier and sat upon the throne of david the two kingdoms would be united and there would be a thousand years of a golden reign in israel and hence that's how he ended up getting crucified um we're, you we're don't tell you don't tell rome you're the real king <laughs> you just don't do it that's a short-term solution exactly so we're talking with donna conrad this is very this, for me this is fascinating i love talking about history and um when we come back we're going to talk more about those days and how they are, are repeating themselves it seems like today in the middle east it seems really kind of the same i i, I would love her it, it, advice about that but we need to take a quick station break you're listening to positive talk with kevin mcdonald you're listening to brushwood media network the best in syndicated talk news and entertainment shows last week brandon met a girl on a dating app one day after work he finally found the courage to ask her out no answer he started to panic. Was he being too pushy? Maybe it was too... Hey, sorry I didn't respond. I was driving. I would love to go on a date. How does tonight sound? Brandon tried to play it cool, but inside he knew. A girl so smart, so responsible. She must be a keeper. Radio. Speaking of keepers, we've got one with us today. This is Donna Conrad. She's the author of a couple of books, and she's I know, learned a great deal about a, a bunch of stuff. One of which is uh, um, I forget his first name. What's what was Young's first name? Carl. That's right, Carl Young. Tell us about what you learned in that in the philosophy of what he talked about. Well, it's asking a lot. <laughs> well, we got uh, 25 minutes. Go. 25 minutes. Yeah, I can sum up young in, in that. Um, I think the importance of Jung was in how we are all connected. 
he said that we you have your consciousness i have my consciousness you have your experiences i have mine everybody has their own experience but as a species there is a collective unconscious something that is is known to all of us on a deeper level which is why you can speak to somebody of uh let's say of of love of acceptance of family and that goes across all barriers it doesn't matter your your upbringing or your nationality or the time in your in in the world's existence you've lived we have this this collective base from which we all function and to me that is inclusive and you and i've talked before i i I believe we are all connected. We are all um, united in some way or another. And our differences in the hostility we experience is when we exclude a group of people or another person and say, no, you're different than me. So I don't like you. I'm afraid of you. And there's very little difference between all of us. And Jung explored this. He also explored the universal symbols that relate across any generation, across any background. And that to me was the most um, impressive aspect of Jung's philosophy and the part that has stayed with me the longest. You know, even <clears throat> moving forward, excuse me, I Neil Donald Walsh in Conversations with God wrote from, and God was speaking here. He said, We are all one. We're all come from the same place. We're all the same energy. And, and, and tell me if you, <laughs> I think I said something profound the other day. Did uh, you? I want to hear it. We'll see. Uh, well, and this is a, a Jungian philosophy was that because uh, a gentleman was asking me, you know, we have got right now in our society, there are such differences with when mm. we're talking about gender and gender affiliation and who's a guy, who's a girl. And, and that, and there's some confusion going on in that. And I said, well, isn't it true? And I think this is a Jungian philosophy I said, isn't it true that we are all energetic beings having a physical, physical experience? And there is male energy and there is female energy. And that's directly from him, I believe. He called it something else, but, but there's male and female energy. And so we are, each of us, in our own way, blessed with our own um, mm -hmm. energetic makeup, if you will. So some of us are really masculine and we have very little feminine energy. And some of us have more feminine energy if you're a man more feminine energy and less masculine energy and the the reverse mm -hmm. is also true uh, for females so you so some sometimes your your energetic makeup can lead you mm -hmm. into a place where you think a little bit differently than somebody who is all man or all woman and so and so that can create some of that confusion am i Am I close? Who was that? Was that? I, I believe you are. And I think the terms you're looking for is the anima and the ah, animus. That's it. Yes. The anima and, and the animus. We, yeah. And we embody 
both of them. Yes. At at all times. And and I do believe it. I think in at any point in a person's life, one is more dominant than the other. And if you think about this, if, uh, let's say a man is raised to think he always has to be strong. He cannot be emotional. He has to be all of these masculine things. Then his animus is given more encouragement to manifest itself. And on the other side, if a woman thinks she needs to be soft and compliant and receiving as opposed to giving, then she has more of an anima Um it, her anima is given more encouragement to flourish. And to me, for for a balance in life, they need to work together is the best um, outcome. But absolutely, I you know, and um, the whole gender fluidity, I think, is a part of our basic makeup, although we are born into one body or another. But if if one or the other of the non-biological aspects takes precedent, then isn't it up to that person if they want to express themselves to the outer world as either the anima or the animus? And it, it's their decision, just like so many things is a personal decision. And to me, if it doesn't hurt anybody, if it's not violent, if it's not exclusive, what does it matter? Just let them do it. And from my frame of mind it doesn't it it shouldn't it shouldn't matter because we're all the same i mean we're all and that's where we're all one comes from is that mm -hmm. we're, we're even if you are a man and and you identify as a woman or vice versa or whatever mm -hmm. that's that it's none of my business i don't care um you know it's it's like a, a there are people that that uh um that are so concerned with um, the gay lifestyle <clears throat> that they are really concerned about what these people do behind closed doors who cares none of my business they care and that's the problem but they yeah. care about a personal preference and to me a personal preference is something that's not impinging or uh being trying to dominate another person but if yeah. you get to the point where you're saying, this is what I believe, so you must believe this, you have to agree with me or you're wrong, that's where I draw a line. Because as I have said, even on your show, somebody else doesn't need to be wrong for me to be right. Exactly. We can both be right. And it's, it's fine. But so many people don't feel that way. And it, it's sad. Because I look at their lives and they're so filled with fear and with hatred and with self-importance that their lives have to be miserable. Yeah, I know. You know, I had a show and, and it's still out there and it was called uh, My Independence Report because we were declaring mm -hmm. our independence from hate, division and fear. And that mm -hmm. is rampant in our, in our society and it's really everywhere. And even... <laughs> My dear mom, who's passed away now, so God rest her soul, and I used to go round and round and round and round and round about whether or not being gay was a choice or whether you were born. And I, mm. firmly, believe, I firmly believe that you were born with those dispositions that you have, and that's just the way it is. And, and she said, well, that may be true, but it's still a sin. 
So it's a sin. So what are you saying? Uh, you can be gay as long as you don't. And this is this is actually a um, a point of view on on some churches. As long as you don't act on it, you can be gay. We don't care. Well, but so what you're saying is there's a segment of our population that we're not going to allow them to love the people that they love and Mm -hmm. to have a full, as full a life as other folks, because Mm -hmm. they're going to burn in hell if you, you know, so it's, it's sad that we've taken that that position when it doesn't, it doesn't affect my mother has passed now. She is in heaven. I'm, I'm absolutely positive. It hasn't affected her in any way, shape or form. So it doesn't matter. So people need to give up. I think they need to give up that position because it doesn't. Mm. What do you think? I think I go back to probably the connection between the sixties and love, you know, and the Magdalene who was a priestess of Ashara and was her main message was love, which is why she meshed so well with Yeshua that we know as Jesus. And I say, where there is love, there's no, there's no harm, no foul. I mean, if you truly love, that is adding beauty and grace and positivity into the world. And what can be wrong with that? And I tell you, when we come back, I would love to be able to play it, but uh, they, they'll sue us uh, because the Beatles are very protective of their catalog. All you need is love. <laughs> I, was, and, and I want to talk about that briefly because if you weren't on the planet when they sang that song, then I want to, I want to educate you a little bit on that. We need to take a quick break. We'll do it. We'll be, we'll be right back. They have your eyes, they have your ears, they have your smile. Now all they need is a little more of your time. Make a difference in your child's life, because anyone can be a father. It takes time to be a dad. And welcome back to Positive Talk with Kevin McDonald and uh, we're talking with a who's become a really good friend of mine. She's she's and I, I'd like to say that because you, you are uh, Donna Conrad. She's an author. She's um, a fellow survivor of the 60s and she's written a book. It's called The House, House of the Moon Surviving the 60s because, you know, you, you make love, not war and and flower power and all that. There was a bit of a dark side to some of that, and uh, and she explores that as well as the good stuff in the book. But I wanted to focus on when the Beatles did All You Need Is Love. Mm-hmm. That was a simulcast that was carried around the world. It was the first one that was ever mm-hmm. done like that. And, and John Lennon wrote the song, and it had not been out. It was, it was a brand-new song that he wrote for that event and in those days music was not about you know just love your neighbor as yourself and all you need is love and and that sort of thing do do you recall when that came out when they had i do i do it was um 
to me, it was earth shattering. It was, you know, there was this uh, very tyrannical, um, I hate to keep using the term patriarchal, but it was a male dominated uh, world of rules. You know, we've got rules here. You have to do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. It was so repressive. And to hear somebody say, all you need is love. You know, there's nothing you can say that can't be said. You know, it was it, it was someone who had a, a global reach saying what we felt in our hearts. We said, oh, if you can just get back to loving your neighbor, loving yourself, loving the life that you're given, loving the animals around you, loving the earth, that's that's what we need. That's that's what the world needs. And for each person to embrace that, yeah, it was it was phenomenal. And nothing that you can do that can't be done. Be done. And and it was mm-hmm. the the lyrics that that meant so much to so many and it was a a huge it was a huge event and that was i believe in 67 mm-hmm. um, i don't remember either 67 or 68 yeah my years are kind of messed up in the 60s there <laughs> well there was a period of time when it was a there was a chemical thing going on yeah, there was a chemical thing going on that distorted time <laughs> but uh, but uh, just as an aside, if you're a student of the 60s or if you want to become a student of the 60s, this is the book to get because she, the, the funniest thing is that her father was an undercover narcotics agent and her older sister um, had a boyfriend who fed um, rock stars d- drugs. And so, and so she got to meet some really cool people like like uh, Jimi Hendrix and, and others and um, sat in some really... Um, I imagine some really fun parties or not so fun parties, depending upon who you were at the time. And or the drugs you were taking at the time. <laughs> exactly. Or or like like or you your said, age. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you were what, 14 or 15, and you got thrown in the back of the limousine and taken to a party? Those people would be in jail now. They certainly would. And then I was also with uh Jim Morrison in a hotel room on my 15th birthday (laughs) was he as now i know he was um, a a druggie but was he more alcohol or more drugs i i think combination both i would say when he when i knew him he was more into the hallucinogens to the drugs but there was always drinking involved and he was an incredibly um prescient poet and and had a mind that was so expansive when he was on drugs when i knew him as it seemed that his world and his talents and his his thought process became narrowed when he was turning more to alcohol and I, I find that still today that alcohol tends to narrow your perceptions and the doors of perceptions are more opened depending on your relationship to certain hallucinogens. Well, and they've got, there is a movement going afoot now for natural 
uh, hallucinogens that <laughs> a lady told me um, that I interviewed. She's a hypnotherapist, and she said, yeah, I'm going down to Panama because they've got yeah. this this place where I can go and I can uh, have this ceremony and then they give you hallucinogens and it's it's all part of this great big ceremony and you throw up for 12 hours then you have this amazing experience it's like wait hold on wait wait did you say you throw can, up can for we skip hours? <laughs> I think that's like ayahuasca uh, I, yes. yeah yeah ayahuasca I have heard that too I have not um in my day we did peyote and everybody else I knew would throw up. I never got nauseous on peyote. And they said the grandfather peyote must have really liked me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I don't know, but yeah. You were just a titch older than me. So you got to experience and you were in California at the time. And so that was a kind of a mm -hmm. hotbed of, of sex, drugs and rock and roll. And everybody was having a, having a good time. And uh, it, it, it would have been a wild time to be down there. It was a very wild time, and it was a time that we truly believed we could change the world and make it a better place. And that's one of the things, I mean, Hunter Thompson was one of my heroes, and he said, uh, you know, it, in his book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, he said it was a time when anything could happen. We knew if we thought it, it could become a reality. And that to me was the true magic of the time. Now, whether or not that came to be in reality doesn't matter, but just the very thought process that if, if we think it, it can happen. And there were tremendous changes that came about from just having that mindset. I, I agree. You know, one of the things is, is that was kind of a, a natural movement and it wasn't like a guru who was on a mountaintop that was saying uh you it was kind of organic uh, ever it mm -hmm. kind of hit everybody at the same time and it kind of spread like wildfires i remember it that you know all you need is love take care of make love not war uh let's get out of vietnam where our kids are dying and and the people and, and it all was real organic and then then the powers that be decided that it wasn't going to be organic anymore. And so they, they, uh, they okay. stomped it down. And, and I see, I see some of that coming back today, only a little bit different in the fact that I think that the people that are interested in changing the world for better are a little bit more mature <laughs> about it. Uh, this time. And it isn't a youth movement necessarily. It is a people mm -hmm. It is, and the forces that oppose it are um, are a little more sophisticated also. That is also true. And so it is always um, a, a balance of the two, and the pendulum swings back and forth. And to me, the division in the country that happened in the 60s has swung back around, and we have the same type of division here between people who want to live their own lives who are doing no harm and people who says, no, you have to live your life my way. And this is a divide in the country once again, that I, I hope will resolve itself to peacefully. something that's more peacefully and to establish more of an equilibrium. And, and by the way, um, you're going to be 
writing a third book and it's going to be about that the 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 similarities of what happened in the 60s what's going on now the pendulum going back and forth because eventually it's got to go back in the right direction and it's got to heal people and they've got to feel better about each other i have enjoyed this conversation again donna it's it's so it's have so, i it's always it's, wonderful to talk with you <laughs> it's so much it's so much fun i want you to tell everybody about yourself and um every, anything that you'd like them to know you got about a minute oh i've got about a minute well you can no pressure please, no pressure no pressure at all everything about me uh yeah you'll find out a lot about me in house of the moon <laughs> nothing's held back but my website is donnaconrad.com and please sign up for it there's going to be a drawing where three people will win a limited edition signed copy of the last magdalene hardback and um, on the website you can also get the lost chapters from house of the moon and the La house of the moon is out now and the last magdalene will be released april 9th but it is available for pre-sale right now barnes and noble amazon most platforms and it would be great and i'd love to hear from you all what you think of the writing and just what you think about life in general exactly it's 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 a wonderful i happen still happen to believe that you and me in our lifetimes which are the 50s 60s 70s 80s and going forward that we've seen cataclysmic change we've had the most unique and positive experiences we've had indoor plumbing our whole life which i think is a really <laughs> big deal <laughs> and it's, it's anyway it's but it's it's been we've been very lucky and i we have that everybody fortunate yeah we've been fortunate and if you go back and you study history you see how incredibly fortunate our time is we, exactly. we, you know, even with all of the the upset in the world and people still needing food, people not being able to get the health care that they need, it is still a remarkable time in history. And we're so lucky that we can leave our house and walk down the street and not see somebody being crucified. It's it's yeah. <laughs> so I haven't thought of that, but you're right. That used to happen. It's, they, 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 there was it. Well, I, we'll talk about that another time. Another time. Be glad that you you don't have to look at that. That's just not worth. Donna Conrad, thank you so much for being here. Go to donnaconrad.com, find out all about her, get everything you need, and I want to thank you again for being here, my dear. That is my pleasure. Thank you. It's always great to speak with you. And you stay right there. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to 